Uh, last month, recurring revenue was uh, 500k a month. It was a slight decline with a few losses. Uh, customers that went out of business, like a couple of customers, really struggled. So. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Gary Saranverda. He's the former head of IBM Canada's data mining and data warehousing practices and is passionate about AI and its ability to transform how retailers grow their businesses and establish an edge in an increasingly challenging and competitive environment. Under Gary's leadership, Daisy Intel, it's daisyintelligence.com, has established a track record for delivering verifiable financial outcomes for a rapidly growing list of global clients. Gary, you ready to take us to the top? Absolutely. So obvious question when we talk about anything retail is, is COVID good or bad for you? I think in the short term, it was bad. We had some, you know, f- uh, you know, big pause on the sales button, you know, so enterprise sales, big ACV, you know, our ACV is like half a million and up. And so, you know, sales slowed. A few retailers had trouble and paused services. So our kind of revenue this year was flat, slightly down compared to last year. But I think overall, the market... Uh, the va- our value proposition will be stronger post COVID as uh, you know companies will look for more automation. Be- uh, it's going to be more competitive than ever. So having kind of you know pricing, better pricing, better promotions, uh, and being able to automate more of the work that human beings do. Retail merchants are overloaded with work. So I think given that e-commerce has gone up dramatically, so I think for us, I well I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I think in the long run, it's a good thing for us. So how many enterprise accounts are you working with now today? I know last time you came on in April, you said you're working with about 25. Yeah, we're still in the same number of banners. Like this year, as I said, has been flat. I think sales is now starting to come back. You know, we expect to close, you know, some counts for the balance of this in Q4 here and then get back to the plan was to double in size this year. We didn't do that just because of the COVID. I think really popped up. It was like a big pause button. So what was monthly recurring revenue last month? Uh, last month, recurring revenue was uh, 500k a month. 500, okay, yeah. So you're, you're, I mean, flat to like a slight decline. When you came back on in early this year, you said you were doing about 600,000 a month. Yeah, it was a slight decline with a few losses. Uh, customers that went out of business, like a couple of customers, really struggled. So, well, so walk me through. You just told me pre-show that you went out and raised another round. How were you able to raise another round where you weren't getting crazy diluted, considering the company had shrunk a bit? 
Um, because, uh, you know, our existing investors believe in the company. In Canada, there's government matching programs to help uh, companies. You know, we're in a hot space, AI. We're one of the, we're the fat, one of the fastest growing companies in Canada, even though this year was a, been a slight decline. We're still in the top 100 fastest growing companies. So between the space, the belief in our value proposition, um, our existing investors put some money in it, and then the Canadian uh, kind of government-backed VC funds put a couple. So we, you know, we raised like five million a couple of weeks ago. So that's total. you know only extends our runway, you know, for another eighteen months. Which five million which- total. That includes the government and the VC stuff. Yeah. Okay, so that means what total raised today is about twenty million. Yeah, we've raised yeah about twenty million in total. Yeah. Interesting. And is the, is the money that the Canadian government puts in, are we talking like shred financing or no, they actually have a program that's equity. It's a program. Yeah. Matching. It's like, so, so this round was convertible debt. So it's like, so it's nice. It's very good because it won't convert, it'll convert into the B round. We have three years to convert into it's, it's a three year term and convertible into a B round. So they've been doing it with a lot of tech companies, uh, you know, who've been burning cash VC backed really extends our runway given that sales is kind of been slow for the year, you know, and just picking up now. And what did you use as the cap on that convertible debt? There's no cap on it. So it'll just be a discount to the next round. So I see. And is that, you know, typically on safe, so we'll see like a 20% discount. Is that similar to what you got? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be about a 20% discount to the next round. And we expect, you know, like we expect to do a B round within 12 to 15 months. So the goal is, you know, to cross the 10 million ARR threshold this year or next year. You know, I think that that's the plan. We build, we feel the market coming back a lot more sales activity in the last month. I think companies are realizing that the new normal is going to be, you know, the old normal is never coming back and everyone's come to grips with they got to get back to business. So feeling the momentum picking up again, actually significantly in the last 30 days. So did you change anything, Gary, about your burn? I mean, again, back in April, I think you told me you were burning about $500,000 a month in net burn, uh, 65 people on the team. Did you have to trim anywhere to get more runway? Yeah, we trimmed. I mean, we lowered burn. We let some people go. I think it was, you know, an opportunity to, you know, make sure we have the right people on the bus, you know, throw us a bit of that and then just, you know, cut back burn to extend the runway. And, uh, you know, even though we raised money, we're still, you know, make, we have 18 months of runway. That's, that's the, that's the worst case scenario. And so that's, that's, that's the plan we have in place. And so we're really being uh, very, very diligent on making sure whatever we spend generates ROI. So we're focused on spending on things that are sales, marketing, customer success. So new customers and keeping existing customers. That's the, that's the focus of the investment capital. And so what's the total team size today? The total team size today is like 55 today. Okay. So, so down about 10 from pre-COVID or during COVID times. Yeah. And do you still have yeah. all 22 engineers or did you let any engineers go? Uh, the engineering team is still 22. Got it. And quota carrying reps, is that where you trimmed? Um, we trimmed a little bit on, I mean, there's some, yeah, some reps. We trimmed a few sales reps. We, we trimmed, uh, cause we changed. We also took this time to retrench like a six month pause. We kind of, you know, updated our sales process and our sales team and changing the way we go to market a little bit. So, so there's some changes in that. So there's a couple of direct sales positions that we eliminated, getting different kind of people involved in sales. Some more of the senior leadership team being involved in sales and trimmed a few client client people and a few kind of uh, general and administrative staff really, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, trimming the access really, but didn't, didn't, uh, 
take away any staff that's directly contributing to customer sat or bringing new sales. You know, I think that was the. So how many quota carrying reps do you still have today then? So today we have, I'd say we have like, uh, you know, three quota carrying reps, but we, but the process now, but we've added with the leadership team being more involved in sales, I'd say our, before our sales team was about uh, eight in total. Now it's like 11 in total with a different mix of skills, right? So I think we sell enterprise software. The realization was that we're selling a partnership wrapped around a product, not just a product. And so getting the people who deliver to our customers more involved in selling, that's been the big change. And so that mix of quota carrying rep versus subject matter expert, that's where we really brought in more subject matter experts and gave them uh, you know, a role to participate in sales more. So let's dive into the product here because what you're doing is interesting. Now, from what I understand, your theory of retail product, which is for re- again retail solution, you're actually managing and looking at transaction data and sorting it in a way that these retailers can use AI to make better sort of product, you know, and urgent decisions. Do you consider yourself sort of a fintech platform? I mean, are you like second measure? You're reading statement descriptors. Yeah, I mean, we deliver, the bull is net income growth. I mean, we do have an insurance fraud solution, which is more traditional fintech. So in the same way that we help retailers make smarter merchandising decisions, we help insurance companies with fraud detection and underwriting and claims automation. So our system is says, what are the best operating decisions you can make to grow net income? That's really the deliverable. And although retail and insurance sound wildly different at the core, it's if I make this decision, what's going to happen? And, and these are the core decisions in retail. Merchandise planning is the core, kind of weekly promotions, prices, inventory allocations, and also, you know, you know what to promote, what not to promote. That's an important mix. And then in insurance, it's underwriting, claims processing, you know, fraud detection, those kind of the core things. And Gary, so your audio is sort of trailing off. Just make sure your microphone's plugged in nice and strong for me. Um, yeah. In terms of the retail side of things, what what data is the retailer feeding you so they can you can help them make better decisions around what to promote? Yeah, we get their transaction log receipts. So literally every item and every transaction, bricks and mortar and e-commerce. So the gory, goriest detail. I know every single item in every transaction for several years. And then around that is all what promotions they did, what were the prices they charged, you know, all, all of the kind of operational details. So obviously, once you swipe your consumer swipes a credit card and then Daisy Intelligence retailer outlet, that's sort of after the fact data. You then have to sort of use after the fact data to make to enable the retailer to make decisions before they have any real data to base that on. Right. So so how does analyzing data after the fact help you make the retailers make smarter decisions? Well, because we have a mathematical theory that's independent of the data. It's like the laws of physics. You know, if you had like a think of an autonomous race car, you know, you wouldn't there's no historical data how to drive a lap around a racetrack. You're not building a predictive model. So you have the laws of physics and you say, okay, I can simulate the laws of physics. And so, and then the historical data just kind of configures the simulation, like the gravity, wind resistance, friction of rubber on the road. So the same way we use the historical data to calculate cannibalization, halo sales, elasticity, and then we plug it into our laws of physics, which is this kind of theory of retail. And similarly, we have a theory of risk. So we're simulating the future and you don't necessarily have to have ever done it in the past. It doesn't need a labeled example. So the historical data just lets us calculate seasonality and uh, you know elasticity, cannibalization, halo, pull forward, and then we plug those into our laws of physics and then simulate the future to say, What's the optimal decision set I can execute, even though you've never done it before? 
gravity is a law. You can't arbitrage gravity no matter what it's going. Things are coming back to the ground. So if what you're saying really is a mathematical rule, like a law, and you make it something that everyone starts using you, well, it it can't work for everybody because at some point consumers don't spend money across all the retailers using Daisy Intelligence. How do you account for this? you know, we're optimizing the market. Given a given entire market, we're looking at all the competitors in the market as well. So it's optimizing a total company, and we've modeled the retail dynamics and insurance dynamics to saying if you do these things. And obviously, you know, there's some assumptions like, you know, the market is fixed. You know, there's a seven hundred billion dollar grocery market, and you know, for the grocery industry, and you know, given that the money is fixed, yes, it will shift between companies. You know, you know, every dollar you grow is taken from somewhere. You know, it's either it's customers not spending that at another competitor or at a restaurant right. or something else. So, so that that's the dynamics we figured out. And you know, it's not like I wouldn't say it's like Einstein's theory of relativity. That's a very absolute, provable laws. Ours are, you know, they work to drive massive sales growth. I mean, we've grown our client total company revenue by three to five percent, which. You know, on a on a base of uh, you know our largest customers, it's more than a billion dollars in annual revenue. So it it works good enough to generate that value. I would say it's quite of it's uh it's it's not an absolute law, but it's it's pretty close because it works. We use the exact same math at every single customer. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're taking a company that's processing a billion dollars in GMV and you're giving a three to five percent improvement, that's a thirty million to fifty million dollar more yep. revenue for them. They're only paying you hundred grand Fraction. a year. 200 grand a year. I mean, if they're, if you're truly having that kind of impact, why aren't you making more money from them? That's what we're struggling. You know, it's the human change management and, you know, getting them to say, yes, I agree with your analysis. You know, they do 20 other things too. And retailers saying, well, what about the things I did? Didn't they have an impact? You know? And so, you know, it's this human change and, you know, isn't that always the fight though? Every vendor to that retailer is, is trying to have direct attribution so that you can charge more. That's the whole battle. Yeah, and we and no retailer will ever admit to us that you did this, right? Like, because if they do that, it's negotiating leverage. So, I mean, we we have a very solid mathematical calculation that's pretty pretty strong, and and uh, you know, and then we're asking, say, hey, we'd like to measure all the other things you did too, so we can do attribution. We're, you know, we're happy. You know, we're not saying that they're not doing nothing, you know, and so that's we're figuring out how to tell the value attribution story. And I think once we then we're on the cusp of that, I think that will drive our our growth more you know we've been more of a challenger sales process in the past and so we're stopping the challenger process and being more hey what you do is great you know the world has changed you know there's risk of change you know our software works in the new world and you know you can keep doing what you're doing and so you know retailers got to say is the risk of staying the same more or less than the risk of changing Mm-hmm. And so now, as opposed to saying we're really great and you know what you did was crappy, you know that was totally not, not a valid approach. On so the eleven quota carrying reps that you currently have, how do you decide what quota to give them? As folks scale to ten, twenty million in ARR, this is a constant battle. So, what do you set your quota at? Yeah, we said. I mean, we set it at a, at a number like uh, you know, you know, two or three deals per person, right? So that's that's a number we cover the total, you know, the total uh, the business plan by you know double, right? Figuring that the average. Well, what's just the dollar case. though, Gary? I mean, what's Our, the dollar? So it's a million dollar a year quota, two million. Yeah, it's like a million and a half quota for the, and then the team leaders got a team quota, you know, that goes above that, right? So the plan next year is to you know grow revenue by more than five million in ARR, right? So. Right, we're going to grow it from you know six to twelve, right? Uh, you know, and so 
you know, I, we have like three quota carrying reps who, and, and then they, the, our leadership team is like, they're comped on the total company. It's not like they're carrying a sales. Okay, so you don't have 11 like, quota carrying reps. You have three quota no, carrying reps. Three quota carrying reps and the, and the leadership guys who are the four of us who get involved, or there's like six of us who get involved there where they were more comped on the total company profitability, you know, are from our shareholders, right? So yeah. it's a different Model. You're still burning though to invest in growth, right? How much are you burning per month? Absolutely. Yeah, we're burning today, you know, we're about 300K a month, you know, so we dialed it back from the 500. Now. Yeah. 5 million we raised, that gives us like, and we have some debt financing, you know, from Expresso Capital and we have a commercial bank. Oh, tell me about that. How did that work? I mean, we have, we've had an Espresso Capital facility for several years. So we've got a $5 million facility that's shared between a commercial bank and Espresso Capital. So the sum of the two is. 5 million based on multiples of um, MRR. And so we have access to, you know, another three and a half million in the, in that facility on top of the five we have as long as we keep growing. So that gives us enough runway to burn on average, you know, 300 K for the next 18 months. How much is in the bank right now though? Oh, we just did the 5 million. So we're like, we're pretty close to the five. Oh, so you actually pulled the full 5 million. That, that's 5 million in your bank yeah. equity. Yeah. On the espresso line, though, you haven't pulled the full five million line. You only pulled two million. Yeah, we've only pulled what we what we've used and what we needed, so we've been kind of flat on that line for quite some time. And, and for anyone else thinking about working with espresso or just venture debt in general, what's the cost of that capital? How's it structured? It's pretty expensive capital. I mean, it's like fifteen and a quarter percent, like interest, and uh, there's no there's no dilution. It's no equity. The espresso guys have been they're fantastic. I've worked with them for several years. I mean, Al Karim and his team are great. It's expensive, but it serves a purpose, right? And if you want you know, capital that's non-dilutive, you know, you pay for what you need. They also do the shred that's MRR plus shred kind of lending in Canada. So we, so there's a, those two combined effects gives you your monthly multiple and yeah, they're, they're great. They do they take warrants? No, they don't take any warrants. So it's, so it's been great from that perspective. And what about covenants? Obviously with any term loans, there's typically covenants. What's the worst one? Uh, the, the covenants are like 40% year over year growth, right? So that one's tough in this COVID environment. Uh, and then there's like, uh, you know, total, uh, you know, net liquidity covenant, which we satisfy with since we raise capital, but there's like a total networking capital covenant, which is a formula based on, you know, cash in the bank plus receivables and all this kind of. Well, so Gary, how do you deal with, uh, how, like, how was the conversation with Espresso? You didn't grow 40% year over year, which means you would have broken that covenant. Do they call the $2 million line back immediately and you have to come up with the cash? No, they, no, they, it was just for drawing new, new funds. You need to show like, so they wouldn't, you know, but they've been flexible. So if we wanted to draw funds, they work with their, they're very flexible. They're not an aggressive lender. So they know that the only way they're going to get their money back is to make sure we succeed. So, you know, when we needed to draw more money, if there's a covenant that we didn't meet, they took it to their credit committee and kind of case by case basis decided. So Smart. they've been super, super patient and super supportive lenders. And using star strategic debt to preserve your own equity, what's that enabled you to do in terms of preserving your equity position in the company? How much do you still own today? Yeah, I own in the 20. 27% of the company, which is still great. I mean, it'll be diluted in the next round with like, with, uh, you know, so, so I mean, it's, so it's, it's helped me not dilute by, by do you have co-founders to, or do investors on the other yeah, 70% sole founder? Yeah. So the investors own 70%. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. All right, Gary, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. 
Favorite business book these days are The Five Dysfunctions of uh, CEO by Patrick Lencioni. I've been reading that one. That's a good, that's a good, good. He's got a whole series of books. I like those. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? I can't say not really. I mean, I, you know, look at the whole world. I mean, I've read Elon Musk. I've been more impressed by him after reading his book than I was before. I thought he was a bit of a nutcase, but after reading his book, he's still a bit of a nutcase, but he's quite the, quite the nutty genius, I would say so. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Daisy? Favorite online tool. Now these days it's like SaaS metrics. So we've been like building financial SaaS metrics. Uh, I found this tool from a VC that was free. It was like a spreadsheet tool that you put all your monthly recurring revenue in for, for five years and uh, spits out every SaaS metric known to mankind. So I love the fact that it was free. It was just a And SaaS what's it? It's sasmetrics.com? Yes. It, no, yeah, it was SaaS metrics calculator. Yeah, I'll send you the I, I don't remember, remember it off okay. the top of my head. I'll send you the, the link for it. Number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? I'm getting more these days. I sleep like, you know, seven hours a night is my average. That's not bad. In a situation, married, single kids? Um, I am married. I uh, have three kids. Busy guy. Gary, how old are you? Me? I'm 55. I just turned 55 on Friday. Oh, congrats. Hey, we have almost the same birthday. I'm October 3rd. Oh, right on. All right, Gary. Let's wrap up here with uh, the last question. What is something you wish you knew when you were 20? Yeah, I wish I knew about business. I would have started the company a decade earlier and been a decade further along, right? I would have wish I'd known more about business finance. <laughs> Guys, Daisy Intelligence playing in the retail and insurance AI space, helping those brands make smarter decisions. 25 enterprise customers right now, about $6 million in run rate. And they're about flat year over year due to COVID, but they are burning less. They're only burning $300,000 in net burn per month right now. They also did a raise of additional $5 million, bringing total capital raised to about 20 million bucks. Team is still about the same, call it 55, 60 people, 22 engineers, three quota carrying sales reps as they look to continue to scale in both retail and insurance. Gary, thank you for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan.